0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 4 through 11 is where we will begin and then in a little bit we'll look at verses 12 through 22. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 4 through 11. Paul continues where we left off last week, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk get are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So we're not gonna spend too, too, too much time on these verses tonight, but there's some meat here that we need for growth, and especially, as you're gonna see, encouragement. Uh, we're living in a day in which people are getting depressed very easily, are they not? And discouraged. I actually found out about a friend of mine who's on the board for my ministry who has a relative who is 60-something years old and just committed suicide. And we're hearing about this all over. It's, people are getting discouraged and depressed. And maybe even you are struggling a little bit with the chaos of the globe and what's going on. And it's, it's so, it kind of, We need encouragement right now. And we're going to talk a little bit about encouragement tonight. But one of the things I can encourage you with is something that Paul is saying here. Look at verse 4 again, but you, talking to believers, are not in darkness, brothers, for that day. This is the day of the Lord that we looked at last week and the judgment of the world. For you are uh, not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Folks, we are not in darkness or, according to the scriptures, of the darkness. We need to be reminded of some things. I think we've kind of lost sight of this a little bit. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 14, listen to what Paul says to the believers there. He says, "And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience." With joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, many of us probably know John chapter five verse twenty four, how when we get saved, we pass from death to life. But we need to let this truth sink in. We are not of this world. We are no longer of the darkness. We're no longer children of Satan. We are children of God, and we're children of the king of the universe. If you really understood that you were a child of the king of the universe, and you believed that that father of yours actually was for you and loved you and had promised to take full care of you and to reward you richly down the road, you would have a lot of confidence, would you not? a whole lot of stuff going on around you shouldn't have much of an effect on you because you know who you are but sadly a lot of christians today are acting just as fearful and panicked and worried as the rest of the world who are still in the darkness we're children of light we're children of the king we actually should be walking around with a peace and a joy and in an, a, a hope a confidence Because we know that even though things are getting bad and going to get worse, we're going to be all right. And we're going to talk about that tonight. You're going to see this jump off the page is what we've been looking at in Thessalonians and where Paul's going to continue to go. We're not of the darkness. That day of the Lord, which we looked at last time, is a time of judgment. It's a time where God's going to pour out his wrath on sin and mankind. That's not for us. So I'm going to say some things to you tonight that I'm going to repeat. I'm going to say it over and over, but I want you to hear me. I have very, very good news for you. Things are going to get worse, but God has promised to come get us before it gets real bad, and the worse it gets, that means it's closer and closer to when he's going to come get us, and now folks, I'm not an escapist. I believe the Bible teaches very clearly that God has not destined us for wrath as we have seen, but we've... We've been taught to not watch out for the Antichrist, but to watch for the Savior, to be watching for his glorious appearing at any moment. We're to be ready and excited and looking forward to that day, living in obedience and holiness because our Father is coming back. Now, let me encourage you with something else. As we celebrate Christmas at this time, would you not agree that the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah were fulfilled in all the prophecies were fulfilled in his first coming? Without question, the fact that way back in Genesis, that there was going to be a seed of the woman who was going to defeat Satan. That Abraham was told that through him and this nation that, he was going to, that God was going to make through him, that all the world would be blessed. David was told, a son from your own body, one of your descendants is going to become king and he's going to sit on your throne and rule forever and ever. Mary was told, this child, by the way, that Isaiah talked about, that it was going to be coming, who was going to be God himself. Wonderful counsel, almighty God. The everlasting father, the prince of peace, the virgin would give birth. All these prophecies, the fact that he'd be born in Bethlehem. And when this all came to be, the angel came and said to Mary, this child is going to be ruler over all the world. And he's going to sit on David's throne. Would you not agree that in Jesus's first coming? I don't think it happened December 25th, by the way, but whenever it did happen, in His first coming, were not all those prophecies fulfilled? Right, let me let me ask you a question: How many years were there between when the first prophecy about His coming happened and when He finally came? Any idea? Over two to four thousand. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter three. We're talking four thousand years. 4,000 years before that was fulfilled. But we can sit here today, 2,000 years after that it was fulfilled, and say all of those things that he said would happen did happen. Were there men and women of faith in the Old Testament who had to hang on and endure waiting for this promise? One, even though they might not have ever seen it in their lifetime, but they have been rewarded and will be rewarded even more. Folks, it's been 2,000 years since we were told this same Jesus is going to come back. Jesus himself has said, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me where I am. The prophecies about his second coming are throughout the scriptures. And we've only been waiting 2,000 years. That's nothing compared to the people that had to wait 4,000 years. But that same God, who made those same promises to those people in the Old Testament and fulfilled them with the coming of Jesus the first time, is going to keep all of his promises for us. And we need endurance. And we need patience. And one of the things that will help us is, because we don't know if his coming is going to happen in our lifetime or not, one of the things we can tell you this, though, is always, you're not of the darkness. You're of the light. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> Ephesians five verses six through eight. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Did you see that? That's Ephesians five. Look at verses six, seven, and eight. Let no one uh, will start in verse six in order to deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with him. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Look at this. The wrath of God's coming on who? According to verse 6 The sons of disobedience. But that's not us. That day of the Lord is going to surprise them like a thief when they're all saying peace and security and everything's going to be fine. It's going to catch them by surprise, but it's not going to catch us by surprise. Why? Because we're not of the darkness. That's a time of wrath. And we're not gonna be here. Go to Luke 21. Listen to Jesus' words himself. And Luke 21, look at verses 34 through 36. Luke 21, verse 34. But watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to what? Escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Don't be in that group that's going to be caught by surprise when this day comes, this time of wrath on the whole world. Pray that you can be in that group that's going to escape it. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, Paul actually tells the the Philadelphia church, but not just them, but also all of the churches. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because of you, your patient endurance, I am going to keep you from the hour of trial, which is coming on the whole world. Folks, he has promised to come get us before that final day comes. Will there be tribulation? Sure. Again, there'll be those who say, well, you just think Christians are going to. No, no, no. Listen, we're going to go through stuff. Things are going to get worse. Things are getting worse and they're going to get worse. But I got good news for you. He's going to come and get us before it gets to the point where you don't want to be on the earth. And the Bible says, and as we see the day approaching, we should encourage One another to live rightly and hang on because Jesus' return for his church is drawing closer each day. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. It's a very familiar passage to many of us, but there's a word in here that I think a lot of us have missed. And especially during the COVID time, we, we, we focused on the not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verses 19 through 25. Listen to the full context of what the Hebrew writer is saying here. He says, therefore, Hebrews 10:19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, I don't know how many of you played sports, but if you ever played a sport, there comes a point in the contest where you get a little weary. It could be a running race. It could be a basketball game. It could be a football game or whatever it is. But if you have people in the stands that are there rooting for you and you hear them during those times cheering you on, it really does have an effect. And the Bible actually says that in this race that we're in, as we fix our eyes on Jesus and we don't get caught up in looking at the world and that's unfortunately one of the things that's happening I say this to you as lovingly as I can please stop talking to me about all the bad stuffs going on in the world I, I can see the news just like you did, I, I have so many people come Pastor did you see the latest thing Here, you know, this guy in Virginia when he was sworn into office instead of putting his hand on the Bible put his hands on a stack of gay porn that's what I heard yesterday you know what True or not true, I don't know. Who knows what you can believe nowadays. But at the same time, why are we looking at that? Why are we looking at that? Why is that our focus? When the Bible says whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is pure, focus on these things. Folks, we're not of the darkness. We're of the kingdom of light. But Jim, the world is getting bad. The Bible said it would. And that's why you need endurance and you need to be encouraged and we need to encourage each other, because I'm going to sound like I'm a man full of faith here to do you tonight. That doesn't mean I'm always that way. Many's the time, my wife has had to say, I remember a guy who used to say this, and then she'd quote one of my sermons. And I'd say, the one time you listen, that's what you're going to listen She ain't here. No, I'm just kidding. She heard it last night, though. But uh, here's the deal. I thank God for the fact that, Becky, when I'm low, will encourage me. Remind me of what God has said, not what I said, but what God said. And we need each other that way. We need encouragement. Go to 1 Thessalonians again. Go back to chapter 4 and look at verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Well, what are the words then according to what Paul's saying here, that we're to encourage each other with. Well, it's the verses right before. Remember 13 through 18? How all those who have died aren't going to miss the day of the Lord or the time of the coming of the, the Jesus for his church. They're not going to miss that glorious appearing and the rapture because they're going to come with Jesus when he comes and those of us who are alive are going to be caught up and go meet him in the, Lord, in the air and we'll go be with him. Guys, this, encourage each other with these words. Go to chapter 5. Look at verse 11. Therefore encourage one another, and build one another up just as you were doing. Well, you probably hopefully know this. If the word therefore is there, you've got to find out what it's there for. Well, go back. Look at verse 8. But since we belong to the day, we're not of the night, we're not of the darkness. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So whether we're awake or asleep, whether we died or whether we're with him, I'm sorry, we died and be with him or we're alive at the time that he comes, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We need to be encouraging each other in these days, not sitting around talking about the wickedness of the world and how bad things are getting, but talking about a good God and his promises and what he said and holding each other's hands a little bit and cheering each other on. It's getting crazy, but everything's right on schedule. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And if I lose sight of Jesus, help me remember to put my eyes back on Jesus. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 now. Look at verses 12 through 22. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold, on to the, hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, we're not going to be able to finish all these verses tonight because as you're about to see and next week or not next week, next time we meet together in a couple of weeks, you're going to see how much meat there is here. Paul here, as in many of his letters, gives a rapid fire set of instructions to the church in Thessalonica as he's wrapping up his letter. But even though his words are short and succinct, don't misinterpret that as this is little stuff. There is profound, deep deep theology here and instruction that we need. And by the end of tonight's study, my prayer is that you'll see how it all ties together with everything we've been looking at in verses four through 11 as well and verses one through five of chapter five. So what we're gonna do is we're just gonna take a couple of verses or a verse at a time or a couple of verses at a time and pull the meat out of each one. Uh, we're gonna unpack them a little bit. Look at verses 12 and 13. We ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are What's that next word over you? We're going to talk about that in a minute and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now here, Paul says that I want you to respect those who are over you in the Lord. If the Bible says that in the church, there are people that are over us. That means that some of us are what under. We don't like that. We actually have redesigned our churches, a lot of them, to be congregationally governed, where everybody has an equal vote. Well, let me ask you a biblical question. Doesn't the Bible clearly state that in the last days, especially, there's going to be many in the church who probably aren't even saved? That's a no-brainer, isn't it? And does the Bible also say that it's not our job to determine who is and who isn't? So if there are going to be those who are not saved as members of our churches... And we really aren't to try to figure out who is and who isn't. And on top of that, just because everyone is, let's just assume everybody in our church is saved. Does that mean everybody's walking in the spirit every day? No. So why would we give everybody an equal vote? God's design is that there would be leadership in the church. I believe the Bible teaches that there should be input in a church, in a healthy family. I don't have time to go down this road, but one of the things I actually help churches do is move from congregational government to elder leadership. And one of the things I help them see scripturally is God designed the family, and He's made very clear in our families what the structure of governance, if you will, is supposed to be. And in the same way, that same model is for the church. Mom and dad, if you will, are the elders, they're the parents. If need be, The husband is head of the wife. I think there needs to be a senior elder. But at the same time, it would be a bad marriage if the husband pulled out the I'm the head of the home card every day and didn't listen to his wife. In the same way, the kids are the congregation. By the way, if you raised more than one kid, we had three. And you you probably had what we had where the kids would say, let's have a family vote. And what they were thinking was, there's three of us and two of you. And, we'll, and we would always say, "Sure we got no problem with vote, but mom and dad's vote counts for two each." <laughs> actually, as the kids get a little older, they become deacons. They don't become parents, elders, but they actually become responsible for helping with the family needs, some of the physical needs. Would you drive your brother to practice? Would you help make dinner? You give them responsibility to help with the physical needs. And that's what the Bible talks about the deacons who are supposed to be helping out with the physical needs of the body. But ultimately, there has to be someone who is mature, spiritually mature, to lead the, the, the family. And they are over us. Well, actually, go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and look at verses 17 and 18. Hear how the Hebrew writer puts it here. In Hebrews 13, verses 17 and 18... He says obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Here he tells them to obey your leaders and submit to them. Now. The ones who are over us in the church and who lead, if you do a study of the scriptures, and we really don't have time to go into the full, full detail on this teaching because there's so much we have to cover tonight. But if you do a study, you're going to find three words that are interchangeable. Elders, pastors, and overseers. They're all pretty much the same thing. Go to 1 Peter 5. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5, you'll see Peter use all three in the same context. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-5, through 5, he says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd, that's pastor, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That's that overseer term, which you're going to see in just a second. But he writes to the elders who are shepherding and overseeing the church, they need to do it Though Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not in it for the money or for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge. You have authority, don't abuse it. But being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." As you're going to see in a little bit tonight, as we continue on in this section of Scripture, the underlying attitude of all of this is a heart that's trusting in the Lord. God, you're the one that set up the family structure. And the fact that there would be parents and authority. That's why the honor your father and mother comes with a promise that you live long in the land. It's not that some miracle thing happens where if you honor your father and mother, you get to live to 80 or 90. No, what it was saying was this. Mom and dad have been down the road a little bit longer, and they know you don't stick the screwdriver in the electric socket. They know you don't chase your ball into the parking lot because you could get killed. Listen to mom and dad. You'll live longer. That's what it's talking about. In the same way, though, when our kids were raised, they're human as anybody else. They didn't like the fact that mom and dad were in charge. They wanted an equal say. They wanted to have a say in how the family should run. By the way, we all come into the world that way. I don't know if you know this or not, but we come in absolutely helpless. We can't feed ourselves. We can't clean ourselves. But we want to tell mom when it's feeding time. And whether or not she's done it long enough. Or when we need to have our diaper changed and do it now. Or whether we want a nap or not. And we, we all have this. But one of the things that helped our kids was we taught them from the beginning. When they would bristle against our authority, we'd sit them down and say, Who's the mom? Who's the dad? And they'd say, You are. And then we'd ask them this question, Who made it that way? And their answer would be, God did. I said, then what should be your response? You see, you don't do it because I say so. You do it because he said so. Years ago, I was teaching on elder leadership in the church, at a church in New Orleans. And how the passage, I was teaching from that passage in 1 Thessalonians. We'll go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 again. Look at verse 12. Thirteen. Look at 1 Thessalonians five, twelve, and 13. Brothers, we ask you to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. After I was done preaching on this at a, at a big church in New Orleans, I was out in the foyer talking to people after church and a man walks up to me and he said this. He goes, respect is earned. I said, you need to sit down. He goes, why? I go, because it's obvious you didn't hear the sermon and I got to preach it again. He goes, what do you mean? I said, does the passage say we respect them when they earn our respect? Or does the passage say we respect them because of the position God's given them? By the way, we might have government leaders that we don't respect. But what does the Bible say that we're to do? We're to treat them with respect and honor. You've gone from preaching to meddling now. Well, who made it that way? God did. And in all things, we submit ourselves to what God has said, and we do it because of God's design. I had uh, uh, this one person tell me one time, as I've been teaching on this for years, he said, well, the congregational government model, I'll admit, is broken, but the elder model, too. That model's broken, too, and there's people that abuse that and all that. I said, you know what? I would agree, because humans are humans. But I would rather see God's model done wrong than man's model done wrong. As you're going to see the Bible actually says that those who do it are going to, are to be dealt with by God. go to first thessalonians actually we'll go to we'll go to um, let's go to James chapter three verse one James chapter three verse one. <clears throat> It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with stricter, greater strictness. Those of us who are given this responsibility are going to be held higher in accountability before God because of the role that he's given us. Now go to 1 Timothy 3. You want to get an idea of how serious this role is and how strict the requirements are? 1 Timothy 3, look at verses 1 through 7, says the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, pastor, he desires a noble task. Now, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. And this doesn't mean he can't have ever been divorced. It's saying is, he's a one-woman man is what it means in the Greek. In other words, whoever they're married to, it's obvious that they've been committed, whoever they were married to at that time, that they were committed Of course, sometimes divorce will bring that into question, but that doesn't mean that it's an automatic disqualifier. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household... Because God's design is the same. How will he care for the God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be thought well of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. I don't know if you know this, but the qualifications for those who are to serve in this leadership position as overseers and pastors and elders actually is fourfold. They're not to be new believers so that they don't become proud because of the authority and the position they've been given. They need to be mature enough to be able to handle that. Also, they need to have a public reputation with outsiders. In other words, that they live outside the church in such a way that they don't bring disgrace to the church. In other words, what they say in the church is how they live out out there in the street. They also have to have a home life that shows that they know God's design for authority because they've been doing it in their family as well. And they also have to have sexual purity. That they don't give question as to whether or not they're a one-woman man. Oh, by the way, did you catch that? These are all supposed to be only who? Only men. Well, I don't think that's right. Let me ask you a question. Who made it that way? God did. Now, what should be our response? Yes, sir. We, we submit to his design. Again, too big of a concept and too big of a topic There should be input. In a healthy family, you want to say to your kids, where do you want for dinner? Where would you like to go on vacation? Find out where they're at, but they don't get to have the final say, otherwise you'd be eating ice cream every night. You need some leaders who are mature and proven over time to do so, and we're to respect those. And, oh, go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at the very end of verse 13. We're to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, and we're to be what? At peace among yourselves. You really want to bless your pastor? Stop fighting with each other. Let me just tell you from being a pastor of a church for over 20 years, we spend more time putting out fires because of issues in the church, and so and so got hurt, their feelings hurt, and you're going to see this later on in our study tonight. Folks, you really want to bless your pastor, don't have Pastor Appreciation uh, Month. Don't give them a special parking space. Submit to their authority and stop fighting with each other. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, listen to verses 17 through 22. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder even, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And as for those who persist in sin, talking about the elders, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. He says in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudice or prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. Don't be hasty in laying on of hands. In other words, don't pick your elders too quick nor take part in the sins of others, keep yourself pure. Those who are over us are to be worthy of double honor. And it, that actually means financially, too, if you look at the context here. When I'm dealing with a church right now, and I'm not going to say what part of the country, but I'm dealing with this church where the church is reluctantly voting right now because it's congregationally governed. We're reluctantly voting on whether or not they're going to give the pastors a raise. And the sad thing is the pastors are the ones who had to finally grease the wheel and everybody's sitting around now in their committee meetings, in their finance committee meetings, in their stewardship committee meetings, in their personnel committee meetings, all the lay people, grudging about, well, what's the, what's the going rate? You know, the Bible actually says that we are actually to treat those who role, lead in this area a double honor. And it then quickly talks about making sure they're paid And I told this one pastor that I'm working with this church a little bit on it. I'm not dealing with the lay people, unfortunately, but I'm helping the pastors on how to respond through this. I told him I wish I could go around and show churches scripturally how God blesses the churches that bless their pastor. I'm I'm not kidding you, folks. Biblically, God says it and he does it. The churches that make sure their pastors are paid well, those churches are blessed financially. They really are. When churches start to nickel and dime, well, I make this much. Who cares what everybody else makes? What's God telling you to pay him? But unfortunately, we don't like anybody over us in the Lord. Go back to verse 14 now of 1 Thessalonians 5. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. By the way, when, if I were to ask you, whose job is it to admonish the idle, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, make sure they're patient with everybody, you would say who? The elders. You, normally we'd say that's the pastor's job, right? But look at the same word. Go to verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who are among you and over you in the Lord. Look at verse 14. He says this. And we urge you, brothers, same people, the people who are under. Admonish the idle. Encourage the fainthearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. I'm not going to spend too, too much time on this because you've heard me teach on this enough. Ephesians 4, 11-16 makes it very clear that God designed the, the, uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, those spiritual authorities to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry so that the body built up. The body should not be expecting the pastor to do the work of the ministry. The body should be doing the work of the ministry. Admonishing the idle. Encouraging the fainthearted. Helping the weak. Using your gifts to encourage one another and to bless one another and not expect the pastor to do it. And then many of our churches, you know, someone's sick, call the pastor. I know some people that actually left the church because their grandson had a nosebleed that needed to be cauterized and they had to take the grandson to a doctor's office to get his nose cauterized and the pastor didn't come pray for him. They left the church because of that. Because their attitude was, what are we paying him for? When we need prayer, he's supposed to be there. When the Bible says that the pastors are supposed to be equipping you to do the work of the ministry so that the body builds itself up in love, Ephesians 4.16, as each part does its work. So Paul says, respect those who are over you, and especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, and listen to their spiritual authority. If there's sin, and it's obvious, more than one person will notice it, and then they need to be dealt with, and publicly, But otherwise, don't you go looking for trouble and grumbling against the elders. Trust that the Lord will deal with them. Oh, and then he says this. Be at peace among yourselves, and instead of fighting with each other, why don't you look for how you can encourage one another and bless one another. Then he says in verse 15, he says, See to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Galatians 6 verses 9 and 10 says, don't grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap if we don't don't give up. And then he said this, and seek to do good to everyone and especially the household of faith. Actually, Paul says, instead of fighting with each other and instead of trying to repay evil for evil, look for ways to bless people. And as you're about to see, those same people that are pushing your buttons and rubbing you the wrong way. We think we do well to just leave them alone. You know what? Me and sister so-and-so don't get along, so I'm going to let her sit over there, and I'm going to sit over here, but you know, we're not going to have any issues. No, the Bible actually says, go out of your way to see how you can bless sister so-and-so. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Romans chapter 12. By the way, you're going to hear a lot of things that sound a lot like what we're just looking at here in 1 Thessalonians 5 because at the end or near the end of Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he does the same kind of rapid fire kind of a thing. Listen to what he says though in verses 9, Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what's evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be He so said, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. By the way, if you say, well, I'm going to be good to this person so I can put heaping coals on their head, you totally miss what he's saying here. That's not repaying, that's repaying evil for evil. That's not what he's talking about. But let me tell you this. If someone's really out to get you and you're loving to them and nice to them and you bless them, it's going to get under their skin. It's going to work on them. It's going to be like heaping burning coals on their head because it's going to be sitting there. You know, the Bible says the soft answer turns away wrath. You might be really surprised if you've never tried it, how when someone is wrong and how they're treating you, if you just actually are nice to them. I'm sorry you feel that way. What can I do to help you? Yeah, well, What we want to do, we want to make sure our rights are taken care of and, hey, this person's doing this to so many people. If I don't do something, then he'll keep doing it to someone. In other words, God can't take care of it, so he needs me. Let's go a little bit further down a road that many of us have never really wanted to. We, we probably heard this passage. Go to Matthew 5. We probably heard this passage years ago, maybe years ago. But I'll be honest with you, I haven't really heard anybody preach on this passage in a very long time. Go to Matthew 5. Look at verses 38 through 42. Jesus is speaking, by the way. And he says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, who said so? He did. Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you, And take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Isn't that interesting? Someone slaps you on the cheek, give him the other one as well. Someone sues you for your coat or or your tunic, give him your coat as well. Someone makes you go a mile, and by the way, back then, the Roman soldiers had the authority to have you carry their bag legally for one mile, and they could walk up and say, hey, you, carry my bag, and I'm going this way. But I'm kind of going this way, sir, but you're going this way now, and you're going to carry my bag, and you had to, by law, submit to the Roman soldier and carry it one mile in the opposite direction. You were already going, and Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to heat burning coals on their head and say, hey, can I carry it two miles for you? We, we, we don't even think that way anymore. We've been taught to defend ourselves and stand up for our rights. And Jesus gave us an example according to 1 Peter chapter 2. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Again, I think we've forgotten that we're children of a king. Jim, but if they sue me and they win, I'm going to be lost. I'm going to be out. All this stuff that I've set aside will be. Are you a child of the king? Has he promised to take care of you? He didn't promise that everything would be easy and smooth, but he promised to cause all things, even the tough stuff, to work for good. You guys are dealing with a son and daughter-in-law who have lost a job at Christmas. I've been blown away by Amber's. Faith, as she and I were talking last night. It's not easy, but she sees God's hand and how he's blessing. And actually, as an encouragement, the church has reached out to them and blessed them during this time. Over and over. Our three kids have just been evicted and are now looking in the midst of a wedding where they're going to live. For a time, they might be coming back into the party house at mom and dad's again and bringing the dog But you know what? Their attitude is God's got a plan and he's going to walk us through it. It's a witness to the lady who said, I'm not going to renew your lease. And they lovingly say, "Okay, we trust you. This is what you want to do. Go ahead. This is loving someone to life. This is loving someone to life. I like that, Glenn. Glenn, You keep coming up with this stuff that I want to write down. This is good stuff. Well, let's go even a little bit further. Go to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, look at verses 1 through 8. He says, When one of you has a grievance against another, and you notice in this passage he said, Be at peace among yourselves. It must have been a problem in the early church. When one of you has a grievance against one another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world and if the world's to be judged by you are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we're to judge angels one day? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But if brother goes to law against brother and that bef- but brother goes bo- to law against brother and that before unbelievers, what an embarrassment. To the, have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Listen to what he says next. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Paul said, you know what? The fact that you guys are suing each other is a problem in and of itself. But you should leave it to be dealt with amongst the church in a loving way. By the, by the way, spiritual... Leaders who have wisdom in this. But at the same time, he then says this. Why do you have to win? Why is your dividing the church even more important than just trusting the Lord? Let me ask you a question. Do we really understand that we've passed from darkness to light? We're children of the king. He's going to come get us one day. And between now and then, he has promised to never leave us, to give us wisdom, to provide all of our needs. He didn't say that we would have a want or a lack. Paul said, I've learned the secret to being content. I know it is to have plenty. And I know it is to be in want. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. My eyes are on the Lord. I'm going to be all right. But Jim, what if we take your house? I'm still going to be all right. What if we take your car? I'm still going to be all right. Well, what if Satan takes your health? You know what? I think the other side of this earth is pretty good, too. Don't you? When we really are reminded and we need to encourage each other with this. When we're reminded of what he's promised and what he said. Even in the midst of the struggle, we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. But we keep pointing each other back to the Lord. Not I got a good lawyer. Let's close in the time we have left with verses 16 through 19. First Thessalonians 5. Verses 16 through 19, you're going to see how these verses pretty much tie everything we've looked at tonight together. Rejoice once in a while? No, always. Pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean pray when the trouble comes. Learn how to live in a continual attitude of conversation and talking to the Lord. Give thanks for in all circumstances... For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then he says this: do not quench the spirit. We're to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? God's will is that we don't quench the spirit. This is what I want to give you here, and we're gonna close with this tonight. We got 10 minutes and we're gonna hit it hard, but listen closely. Because of the fact that we not only are children of the king, we passed from darkness to light, we're now in the kingdom of light. Because of the fact that not only are we children of God, he's put his spirit within us and sealed us. And that Holy Spirit is going to be a comforter, a guide, an encourager. And he actually is going to be the one who empowers us to live these instructions in this life that he has for us. He wants us to learn how to daily say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit, walk with him, talk with him. And as you talk with him continually and as you thank him for all that he's already been doing, you'll be encouraged by the fact that he's there and that he's got a plan. And even though he may not give you the solution, the Bible has promised that he'll give you What? Peace. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Now, but I want you to go back to verse 2. We always start in verse 4. But we need to go back to verse 2. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. He's writing to a different church now than the one in Corinth. He's writing to the one in Philippi. And he says, you got a couple of ladies who used to work side by side with me in the cause of the gospel, and they're having a fight right now. And they're parting company. Help these ladies get it fixed. And then he says the very familiar passage. But listen closely to what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, some translations say gentleness, which I think is really good. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, listen. If you guys are fighting with each other, you've already lost sight of the real truth here. Rejoice in the Lord. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? The Lord is at hand. That's a dual thing here. It's not just that he's near at the door. He's already here. He's already with you. And we need to live in that continual reminder I'm reminded of the story. Some of you may know it, some of you may not. But David, when he's king of Israel, his son Absalom has decided that he wants to be king. And he's chasing David out of Israel. This is King David with his army. And David, humbly and in meekness, leaves the city. While, his, while he's leaving the city, this guy starts cursing him. And throwing rocks at him. And Joab says to David, do you want me to go cut his head off? He's a a dead dog. Say the word and he's a dead dog. And David very humbly says this. He says, no, leave him alone. Because if God's told him to curse me, I'd be telling him to stop something that God told him to do. And if he's doing it on his own, God will deal with him. By the way, did David have the power and authority to deal with it? But meekness is power under control. I'm a child of God. That's great. But how would God have you respond? And many a time he says, I want you to show that you really trust me and not in your power and your authority. You just do what I tell you to do. So when David, after Absalom dies, comes back, this guy comes running up to him, falls on his knees and says, please forgive me. And again, they're saying, should we kill him now? And David says, no. This is a time of celebration. This is a time of rejoicing. Why would we kill somebody at this time? Let God deal with them. Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but seek to do good. Why? Because, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, Jim, you don't, I can give you my list of people that are against me. No, they may think they are, but they're really fighting who? Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And if you want to fight them on your own, God will say, go right ahead. You get your lawyers, you go do your thing, you go fight them. But you miss out on so much power when you try to live like the world does, folks. And by the way, let the Holy Spirit show each of us in these situations how we apply these truths. But he says, focus on what's right, what's true, what's honorable, and God will give you peace. Even peace that passes understanding. Yes, he will give a direction. Sometimes it's all it is is what direction to keep heading, but it doesn't give us the answer. We don't know how it's all gonna play out. But we're gonna be all right. We're gonna look back over this and say, you know what? That was actually really a blessing. Wasn't fun at the time, but it was really a blessing. By the way, you know how a while ago I shared with you how my brother, we thought he was going to move back in with us for a little while. Well, it became obvious through God's plan that he wasn't to go into the promise. He was to stay with us. And he's going to live with us until he needs nursing home care. It could be lots of years. And you know what? We've actually enjoyed having Jeremy with us. It's actually been a blessing. We've seen how we've been a blessing to him and he's been a blessing to us in a lot of ways. And it's just, you know what, I want to give you a little homework. And I'm very serious about this. And you pray about it. Don't do it because Jim said it. But if the Lord really puts this on your heart, you might want to do it tonight before you go to bed or do it tomorrow morning when you wake up. But listen closely. Go back in your mind with a piece of paper and a pen. Go back over your life with Christ. And think about the many episodes that he's walked you through. The time the doctor gave the diagnosis that you didn't think you were going to make it or the car crash or the job loss or the relationship issue. And then look at how God has brought you through it. Have You ever noticed that whenever he would do a big miracle, he'd make him go back and pick up a couple of rocks from where it was and make an altar. Because he knows we forget this latest episode. We feel like this is the worst thing. No, there have been worse. And he's already brought us through. And in the same way, listen to what 2nd Chronicles 16:9 says. This it says the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully committed to him. By the way, in that full context, the king who of Israel, sorry, of of, of Judah of the southern kingdom who had actually uh, been taken care of miraculously already by God, When the northern kingdom tried to fight against them, he goes and makes a pact with a foreign king to try to fight against the northern king Israel. And God sends the prophet and says, don't you remember when you had a greater army that was coming against you and you looked to me and I took care of you? Now all of a sudden you got to go make a pact with this pagan king? The eyes of the Lord roamed to and fro throughout the earth looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He wants to show off on your behalf. And you, instead of looking to the Lord and waiting for the Lord, you went and tried to call your lawyer or got a man or took care of it in the way that made sense to you. And the rest of that verse that we always quote, 2 Chronicles 69, how the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The rest of the verse says you've done a foolish thing and from now on you'll be at war. You want to live that way? Go ahead. But you're going to miss out on all that I want to do. Oh, and don't miss this, folks. Don't come out of here tonight saying, I'm going to do better, Jim. No, God is looking to show himself strong on our behalf, not wanting us to show ourselves strong on his behalf. When you say, I'm going to do better, I'm going to live for the Lord. You're trying to show yourself strong on his behalf. No, you humble yourself and say, Lord, I need you to be that daddy. I need you to be that one that takes care of me. I need you to be the one that shows your power. And we're not going to do anything until we know what you said. We're going to head in the direction you tell us to head and we're going to trust you. Go to Ephesians 5. Go to Ephesians 5. Look at verses 17 through 21. Therefore, ah, look at verse 15. We can't miss it. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are what? They're evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be being filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always, And for everything, to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What is God's will? That we be continually drinking of the Spirit, continually walking with Him, continually trusting in Him, walking with Him, doing what He says to do, trusting that He's going to make it work. Well, He doesn't do it fast enough. That's because you still want to be in charge. Why don't you respect those, or the one, who's over you? Go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, by the way, when I meant by that is Jesus himself. Ephesians 4, look at verses 29 through 32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now we hear that and we think cussing, dirty jokes. No, look at the context here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. As fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let no all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know what this corrupting talk is? It's things that actually focus on the negative and tear down. Instead of focusing on the positive. And building up. A lot of people come up and I'll say, how are you doing? They'll say, well, I'm on this side of the dirt. And I always say to them, the other side's better. We don't need to go down that trail of our bodies are getting this in my body and this hurts now and that hurts now. And we love to talk about the negative, don't we? It's almost like we enjoy that. I love you. Stop. Let's encourage each other with the Good. Whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, Jesus is still on his throne. Amen. I'll close with this, and I've said this before, but I want to remind you of it. When Jesus was heading to the Passover, the last week of his life, the Pharisees got together and they said, we're going to kill him. But not during the Passover. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. And they're going to kill me. But after three days later, I'm going to rise. By the way, Pharisees had their plan plotting evil in the background. And their plan was to kill him, but not during Passover. Jesus said he was going to be killed during the Passover. Who was right? Jesus. The whole time they looked like everything was out of control and all those evil men and all their behind the door schemes were being planned. And God was controlling the whole thing. And he still is. Uh, Would we not agree that the election this year coming up might get a little wacky? Wackier than normal? Let me encourage you with something. God's still on his throne. And he still picks who goes in and who doesn't go in. Keep that in mind. Because it will be tempting to get caught up in all the other stuff. I love you. Have a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll see you January 10th. Thanks for coming.